to who we are as people. <laughs> Holla. <laughs> okay. I'm Lauren. I'm Sam. And this is the ginger, the gay, and, and the, the gruesome. gruesome. That was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it on the first go. Yeah. Okay, so we are, I feel like I'm more of a true crime buff. Yes. But I also feel like I bring a lot of true crime to your life. Mm-hmm. Yes, you've definitely enriched my life with the true crime. With the murder and the mayhem. Yes, and I've grown to love it. So basically what we're going to do here is um, what tons of other podcasters have done. Um, we're going to do a story a week. We're going to try for a story a week mm -hmm. and um, a little bit more of a deep dive into stuff that um, we might have already known about, may have not known about. Um, for example, our first story, I... Once I started researching it, I did remember a little bit more about it, um, but I didn't really know anything about it um, going into it. And then I just deep dove, and I feel like we're on Oprah's, like, hi. I kind of like it. <laughs> I'm about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so anything you'd like to add? Yeah, so we're starting in Dallas this week to set the stage. We are also from Dallas. Yes. We won't be giving specific locations. <laughs> just so that, you know, if we do get all famous and stuff, we don't. So we ourselves don't become a true crime yes. story. No one wants to be a part of a true crime. Um, and I think that's. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's do it. Let's, let's get learn. Going. So this week we are going to be deep diving into, uh, Richard Hernandez murder. Um, he was allegedly murdered by Seth Lawton Winder. So, uh, so they still don't know. They, we'll see. We'll get to there. Okay. okay. Um, so basically this is a kind of a no win story. Um, both parties. No happy ending here There's today. No folks. happy ending. <laughs> um, so I'll just I'll jump right on in. I'm gonna start with Seth's story and then go into give us a little context. Yeah. So Richard Hernandez is the one who was murdered. I will get to him later. I want to kind of focus. Um, a little bit more on Richard because I think what happens a lot of times in true crime and just in, in general, the focus is too much on the murderer when, you know, somebody lost their life and there's a lot of times not as much information and, you know, the victim needs to have a... We need to learn about them too. Yeah. So to start off, uh, Seth Winder was born July 2nd, 1979, a product of, or he was a child of divorce, not a product. He was a child of divorce. His parents were Rodney Winder and his mother is Nancy. I'm going to mess up all of the names just <laughs> That's okay. going forward. Um, Robecki, Robecki, Robecki. Yeah. So we're Good just going to call her. Nancy. Nancy. 
Nancy R. Yeah, Nancy R. Like I said, they got a divorce. Uh, Seth at a very uh, early age started showing mental illness tendencies. Uh, so his father, Rodney, worked construction. It is said that he drank extensively. So that's starting off good. Cheers. Cheers. As we both drink a glass <laughs> of wine. His mother, Nancy, worked in the accounting department of the Colony, Texas, which is fun factoid. That is where I'm from. And I didn't know that until I started researching this. Represent. Yeah, not in a great way, though. So <laughs> he fished and golfed with his father. Um, he was a very artistic kid. He woke wrote poetry. Um, he was really into drawing castles and mountain scenery. He was a very shy, withdrawn, socially awkward, socially phobic child, um, but was incredibly intelligent. His IQ was tested at 130, as it happens sometimes. Super smart, sometimes is not socially. Is that like genius level? Do we know? Uh, you know what? I did not look that up. I probably should have. I think genius Let's level. look it up right now. Live on the pod. Okay, we looked it up. Okay, we looked it up. And any score. Okay, so most people fall within 85 to 114 range. Any score over 40 is considered a high IQ. A score over 60 is considered a genius IQ. But 132 or more, you're in the top 2%. So genius is 160, but only 2% of the world is wow. over, yeah, is in like the 130s or higher. So he's in the top 2%, top and 2%. most of us are like at 114 or low or 85 Lower. or whatever. I think mine is 116. Ooh, you got that high? Yeah, IQ. but I'm also dyslexic, so it works. It's counter <laughs> <laughs> counteractive. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I am, and I do not care to find out. <laughs> okay, so, yes, yeah, so he struggled socially. He would complete his homework and forget it in his locker, things like that. But he had, like, a generally good home life, it sounds like, right? Um, Honestly, it wasn't awesome, but it wasn't awful. Okay. Fun factoid, where his parents lived, or at least his dad and stepmom later in life, I had friends that lived down that street. So, Ooh. Yeah, real close to home. Yeah, getting <laughs> it real close there. Uh, in fact, I think a friend still lives over there. But anyway, I digress. Uh, he was an outsider who was unfortunately picked on. Social anxiety. Yeah, they do get picked on quite a bit. But he did have friends in the ROTC um, who said that he was very uh, sensitive and a very thoughtful person. So, okay. Mm -hmm. Around eight years old is when they started noticing things were a bit off. He started insisting on sleeping with a baseball bat in bed because he believed that the devil was trying to break into his bedroom at night. Oh. Mm -hmm. And his parents said that they wrote this basically off as overactive imagination. He's a smart kid. And That's this is just, at eight years old. This is at eight years old. Okay. As a teen, he started drinking, smoking weed, which... Is, I mean, not as a teen, but not necessarily going to cause a bunch of other issues, but it is something when you start drinking and using drugs very early in life, yeah. you know, it can mess with things. 
Um, but he also started dabbling in uh, hallucinogens. So not great. Uh, it caused his paranoia to intensify and he would struggle to carry on normal conversations. Friends says that his uh, friends said that his eyes would, they just looked vacant. Almost like he was just checked out, not there. Nothing was going on. Okay. At 16 years old, he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. So I don't know. I should have looked this up. I don't know when normally those traits start coming out in one of my favorite shows, which I'm not, no, I don't know if we're allowed to say it, but I think uh, you can. Dr. Spencer Reed, uh, his yes. mom, <laughs> Uh, he, there's an episode where he starts feeling like he is going that way because his mm -hmm. mom, you know, is diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he is like, I'm right on track. I'm in my thirties. So I don't know if that's just, I know that, or... like people a lot younger they're getting get, well, I know schizophrenia. I don't know about parents schizophrenia. I feel like those might be the, I don't know. I think they're different. I think one of them is like. A little crazier than the other. Ages 18 to 30. Ages 18 to 30. So even then, he was diagnosed early. Yeah. Well, he thought so too. Because he did not believe the doctors. And essentially dropped out his sophomore year of high school. And he was living with his mom at the time. He wasn't following rules. Which, I mean... I'm not a parent. You are not a parent. Nope. We are not giving parental advice here, We are folks. not giving parental advice. Sophomore's early to get kicked out, though. Sophomore's real early. Honestly, Maybe, like, might military be little... school? We're actually going to get there. Ah. So you're Nail on the head. Better than kicked out on the streets. That's true. Although... So he was kicked out uh, when it became clear, you know, like I said, that he couldn't follow the rules um, and basically couch surfed for a bit. Uh, at one point, he moved into his friend's garage for a couple of months. And eventually he moved in with a uh, friend named Barb Sweeney. Now, garage living in Texas. Not no great. joke. That's not great. <laughs> Regardless if it is winter, really, there's two weeks a year. Where that it would it's be like okay. Good deal. Yeah. Yeah. All the rest is like this you're is getting just... sweat out in the sauna or you're gonna freeze to death. It's not even sweat out. It is heat stroke. Yeah. Just just awful. Yeah. It's awful getting into a car with the AC on half the time. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll cut like this part out when I'm trying to find where I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be easy. Yeah. Okay. Barb Sweeney. So, Barb Sweeney was a retired... Who's Barb in relation? It just, it just says a friend. A friend. He okay. is a friend. Or she good is friend, a friend Barb. Good friend Barb. Everyone needs a good friend Barb. <laughs> she was a retired Postal Service employee. So, I'm assuming she was a little bit older. Um, but I, I was going to say young postal service employee. <laughs> they get you real young. Yeah, recruiting straight out of high school these days. Yes. <laughs> uh, she was quoted as saying he was very confused. He was very paranoid. He thought everybody was following him. She also said that he was pretty, 
he was just a harmless kid who was confused and, you know, finding his way. She basically doted on him, tried to make life as easy as possible for him. So, like I said, he was harmless, the kind of guy who would avoid confrontation. He was the kind of person who would relocate a spider instead of hurting it. He had a close-knit group of friends, including Barb's partner's daughter. So, friends. The close-knit group of friends, we are not this close. <laughs> they were a little closer than others, is okay. what she said. She is quoted to have said, to have said, to have said, they viewed sexuality as fluid. I knew they were all, how do I put this, into each other. Girls and girls, girls and guys, guys and guys. (laughs) So at this age, she is saying like everybody in that group was like, sexuality is fluid. Barb eventually retired. I don't know what she was doing in that time. Postal service. No, I think she was retired before. Ooh. Or maybe not. I don't know. Barb's on the hustle. Mm-hmm. But she moved to New Mexico, which is hot but drier than Dallas. I was Dallas. about to say worse than Texas. Shout out to my peeps in New Mexico. <laughs> I mean, it is... We have a very good friend. I call her Florida because she is from Florida. Good friend, Florida. Good friend, Florida. Um, I went to Florida um, two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And the humidity I thought was bad in Dallas. Mm-hmm. It is nothing compared. I lucked out when I went. Oh, it was off. We I also went in August. Stories. We went in August, too. They were like, it's going to be crazy. And I was like, it's not that bad. And they were like, I don't know what it is. But it's usually worse than this. So I haven't experienced it. Well, I'm glad that you're coming with us to Colorado. Because I need perfect weather whenever we go. Snow and snow and snow. Yes. But yeah, I, I could not. It didn't matter how much water I drank. It did not matter. It did not stay in your body. It did not stay in my body. <laughs> I mean, I know New Mexico is different from Arizona, but when we were to the Grand Canyon, as long as you stood in shade, it didn't matter how mm-hmm. hot it was. It was great. It felt yeah. amazing out mm-hmm. there. So, I mean, I get West it. West Coast. doesn't matter what happens in Dallas, shade or not. It's just darker hot. Darker <laughs> hot. <laughs> shade is nothing. Okay. nothing. Back to the story. So, at 19... Seth was hired on at Walmart. Uh, he was hired to unload semis and eventually was promoted to cashier. Also, I shopped at this Walmart. This was my neighborhood Walmart. So there is a good chance that I have seen him, ran into him, something. So. Oh my God. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It gets even crazier. So yeah, he was promoted up to cashier. He worked there for over four years. It was the longest job he had had. And his dad said he was doing really well. He ended up buying a car. He moved into an apartment with his girlfriend. His dad is quoted to say that he was living like a normal human. Okay. So real supportive dad. Yeah. (laughs) 
But unfortunately, it didn't last long. His girlfriend broke up with him because he lacked motivation and just wasn't living up to the partner's side. true potential. It's true potential. Being all high IQ and stuff, working at... Yeah. Working at Walmart. <laughs> Not saying <laughs> that there's anything wrong with Walmart. I have friends who work at Walmart. <laughs> One of my best friend's father works at Walmart. I love shopping at Walmart, especially after a bottle of wine. But <laughs> a bottle as, of wine. <laughs> as someone with a very high cue, you might think that they would be doing something different with their life, especially because he was so into the arts and things like that. He was apparently good really at good school. Decent home life. Yeah. Nah, the dad. Dad, you could be more supportive. You could be. Mister. Especially <laughs> when especially <laughs> when he finds out the potential for him to be gay. So in case anybody was wondering, if you've gotten this far into this podcast. I'm Ginger. She's a ginger who is married to a man. I am a gay. Uh, I have a wife. Um, so we are very pro gingers and yeah. gays. Super pro ginger. Yeah. <laughs> they do have souls. <laughs> yeah. Don't talk shit. <laughs> so his dad, um, so he said that, you know, his girlfriend broke up with him. He ended up quitting his job, uh, cashed out his 401k and basically left Dallas. He went to New Mexico to live with Barb. Barb. Again. Good friend, Barb. Good friend, Barb. From what it sounds like, he had friends everywhere, like, in his group, but Barb was a stable person in his life that he could count on. Okay. And she really, I guess, understood what he was going through and really tried to help him as much as possible, but, I mean, in the end, you can only help so much. She said his paranoia had gotten incredibly bad. Uh, she had constantly had to remind him that no one was following them. Um, and honestly, he was only there for a couple weeks before he called his mom and asked for bus fare back to Dallas. Oh, no. Uh -huh. He moved back in with his dad at 24. Uh, so he lived with his mom. And then when he came back, he lived with his dad. So he lived with his mom. He got kicked out lived couch surfed for a bit and then moved in with barb, barb and then came back and his dad agreed to take him in yeah so i think he moved in after he moved out with Bar out of barb's house when she moved to new mexico i think that he moved in with his dad for a bit and then moved into the apartment like while he was working at walmart he was living with his dad okay. and then moved into the apartment with his girlfriend that broke up and then he decided to move out to New Mexico. Got it, got it, got it. Um, so at 24, he moved back in with his father, um, and it was very bittersweet for his dad because he enjoyed having him close, but... He's also kind of crazy. Yeah, he's not taking any kind of meds. He's not doing anything, and he's... And they're also not doing anything to help him get on meds. So I have seen multiple reports of this. On one hand, I have seen that the father and the family have stated numerous times that they had tried to get him help, but there was no help. Basically, there was no help until something like this happened. And then I've seen other reports that were like, they couldn't do anything for him, so they didn't really try. 
So I'm choosing to believe that they were trying. And I, they just had like insufficient resources. I mean, there, yeah, there's. And a, we are talking about like the mid 90s. No, right? we are talking about 2008. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Not so, too long ago, folks. <laughs> so, and I mean, mental health, while it has come some big steps yeah it's still not to the point where you know you can't just commit someone and and people are also not very open about it yeah and it just you know it causes issues coming from two people who are on our own journeys we are on our own journey i am a hundred percent for therapy i think it's great Hello. even if you are not in a point in your life where you feel like i'm not struggling but you know what? I could talk to someone about some stuff. Go talk to a therapist. Go talk to a counselor. Somebody mm -hmm. who's not a part of your... It helps. Not just a friend. <laughs> Thanks. And a little help. <laughs> so, yeah. I know BetterHelp.com. I know they're not a sponsor of ours. <laughs> Hashtag not an ad. But they are great. Um... But if you want to sponsor us, we accept. We absolutely accept because <laughs> therapy is great for everyone. Yep. Get right with yourself. That sounded bad. <laughs> we'll just cut that out. <laughs> so his dad. Are you making cut notes? Yeah. Nice. It's a dancer in me. Now you're going to cross it out. <laughs> and add more. So his dad, again, it was a very bittersweet thing. He was scared of his son in some aspects oh. yeah so he was glad to have him there so he was close by he knew what was going on with him but at the same time he was like not following rules he wasn't doing he was just skulking around basically how sad to like want to be there for your son but then like also be kind of afraid uh -huh. like what do you do not this. <laughs> Not this. I don't know what the answer is. Again, we don't have kids. Uh, yeah. So. This is not an advice show. <laughs> Seth basically shifted from super high highs and real low lows. Like there was, it was just peaks and valleys constantly. So he had a ton of different jobs all fast food type jobs, but they would only last for about a week or two. Or two. And oh, wow. yeah. And I honestly don't know how you keep getting a job because yeah, after you've lost that many so quickly. Yeah. Or they don't check or just left. I guess so. They just needed help. Rodney said that Seth would just sit in it was either one of two things. He would sit in his room and stare at the ceiling or the walls, or he would just stalk around the house with a pool cue talking about they they doing this they are watching me mm. they are following me and he claimed to uh an unseen entity named max was speaking to him oh no which if this was a haunted story that would be a different situation but like i and and maybe this is where they are trying to get help for him i just feel like seeing this happen to my child would be a very difficult thing yes it, I, I don't know. That's like uncharted territory. Yeah. One of his shifts. As, so he worked at Taco Bell was one of the, the places he worked at. Um, and I at, you went to that Taco Bell. I honestly, I probably did. I, I spent did. a lot of time at Taco Bell. 
Oh my god. It's real interesting when you look at life. <laughs> so apparently he left one of those shifts. He ran out of the Taco Bell with no shoes, no shirt, and were screaming that green leprechaun creatures were following him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We've gone zero to 100. Yeah. Um, in 2004, his father had had enough. And told okay, I was about to say, like, when are they going to draw when the is line enough enough? here? Yes. Well, apparently it was 2004 because he told him that he was joining the... Rodney told Seth that enough was enough. You're joining the army. And that they were going to, quote, make a man out of him. Okay. Old school. Old school. Uh, Seth got his GD in August of 2005, and then off to basic he went. How do you think it's going to go? I don't know if that's the best solution for mental health problems. That is correct. Did they even take him, though? Like, don't they you have did. to do a psyche valve? I don't think so. But they did take. As long as he passes the test, and he passes, like, the... And he's a smart guy. He's a real smart guy. But unfortunately, it only lasted three months, and the army kicked him out because of his mental illness. Okay. Issues, yeah. He bounced from couch to couch and eventually started using meth, which is never good. Wonderful. Let's pour gasoline on that fire. Let's just, because I can't think of a worse thing to do when you're a paranoid schizophrenic than meth. Absolutely. So all this is happening. He is regressing more and more and more um, at one point he called his mom and asked her to meet him up at the ihop which i also have been to <laughs> <laughs> she said that he looked like his skin was gray and sickly oh, and that no. he was very nervous and paranoid and that he was his eyes would just jerk around the the restaurant oh, for the whole goodness. time so she was so concerned as any mother would be uh, she and her, at this point, she had been remarried. So his stepfather and his mother took him to Medical City of Plano. So they were waiting to be seen. He started threatening to leave, ripped off his gown. You know, I guess he was in one of those, the rooms before you get admitted. Okay. And uh, started threatening he was going to leave. His mom went out to see like the progress of getting a doctor in there or whatever. And he called out for her. She turned around. <gasps> And he leaped at her, grabbed her by the throat, what? and slammed her into the wall. Yeah. So Because she took him to the hospital? So he was asking or saying he didn't want to go. I want to leave. I want, don't want to be here. And she was like, the doctors are here to help you. Like, you need to get help. Oh, my gosh. And so he did this. Now, his stepfather heard a commotion or just happened to be coming back in the room. And this was like, she almost lost conscious, lost consciousness. And the stepfather got him off of her and then basically pinned him down until help got there. And it was at that point where he was then committed to the state hospital Thank in Terrell uh, for roughly two months. Playing out of Terrell? Uh, I think the closest state hospital is in Terrell. Oh, Okay. For those of you who don't know, Terrell's like probably like an hour and a half away from Plano. Like no, because that's where the Bucky's is. It's probably 45 minutes to an hour. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's not Depending that on if you leave in rush hour. It could take you four days if you leave during rush hour. 
so yeah, he was there uh, in Terrell for about two months when the growing treatments. The doctor said that he basically suffered a psychotic break is what happened. Sounds like it. Mm -hmm. And uh, because, you know, meth. But later, mm -hmm, later when he was asked about the attack, he couldn't remember any of it. So. No way. None of it. Didn't even know what happened. So that, like, isn't that kind of like something that happens in psychotic breaks? Is mm -hmm. like you lose memory of what happened? Yeah, because you don't really know what's going on. Okay, yeah, you're like in a lucid state or something. Like, like Lucid that. is you're aware. You're aware. Okay. Yeah. You're so you're... And then not lose it. After Seth was discharged, he stayed with his dad again. But Rodney was really worried that his son was going to get, I mean, he'd already had one violent episode, truly violent episode. And I mean, I can't say that I wouldn't have done the same thing, but he did sleep with golf clubs uh, propped up against the door of his bedroom. Rodney did too. So he'd just like wake up. Yeah. Like just... they would fall mm -hmm. and he would wake up. Oh my yeah. gosh. That's from a movie. I mean, if it works. Except it was cans. Can't remember what movie that was. We'll have to look it up. Stay tuned. Seth came back to his dad's house and he was just drugged and um, just really out of it. Well, like sedated. Yeah. So one of the articles I was reading said that he, when he came home, he was really drugged and it really messed with him. I don't know if that was meaning like right after he got home from the hospital, he was like sedated or if he had mm, been like an ongoing period of time. Yeah. Or if it was like, these are his medications that he's been taking. And because he's on it, he's kind of a zombie about it. Yeah. Um, it wasn't clear. A little bit of lithium. Yeah. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. <laughs> so his mom put him up into an apartment in far North Dallas. Uh, it's actually not far North Dallas. It's Carrollton. Um, off George Bush. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, I feel like Ditton, McKinney, Salina, those are that's far north little Dallas long. Metroplex. Yeah. That's far north Metroplex. Yeah. Yeah. So far north Dallas off George Bush Turnpike. Also fun factoid. I lived at one of these apartments. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Not at the same time though. So okay. it already happened. So at this point, it's a miracle you weren't murdered by this. On it, honestly, every day of my life is a miracle. <laughs> I wake up every day hoping not to get murdered. Uh, so she wanted to help him get back on his feet. Um, but as before, he couldn't get a job or he could, he could get a job, but he couldn't keep a job. And so when she stopped paying rent, he couldn't pay it. So he got evicted. So now fast forward, he's 27 and he's homeless. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, so he started camping near his dad's house in the colony. Oh no. Yeah. Camping. <laughs> yeah. I mean. What happened to all of his friends? So, I mean, at a certain point you've overstayed your welcome. Okay. So you know? we've just been too unstable for too long mm -hmm. at this point. It's like, get your shit together. 
So I guess when he left his father's house, he, I don't know how exactly it was left, but he was under the impression, Seth was under the impression that he was no longer allowed inside the house. So he would come to Rodney's house and basically knock on the door, ring the doorbell, asking for food, to use the phone, um, to store his growing collection of found or stolen debris, canoe paddles, cellulite dishes. (laughs) My God. Satellite dishes, furniture, DVD players, and he would just store all these things in his dad's garage. Okay. He's just starting like a pawn shop at this point. Yeah. Um, Remember, he stored all this stuff in his father's garage. Okay. Noted. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So his father would watch him leave, walk 100 yards away, walk beneath huge transmission lines, past wooded privacy fences and swing sets and barking dogs to a campsite within a wooded area on the Army Corps of Engineer property. He said that every time he saw him, he was dirtier and skinnier. He spent a lot of time walking, just walking. It's so sad. That's what his father said. It's so sad. I don't know why I'm taking this in such like a shitty way. (laughs) you're offended by the dad. I am offended by the dad. I mean, like, I feel like there's something that, like, can be done that's not being done. Yeah. Like, you're just gonna watch your son walk, like, to his homeless campsite. Yeah. When he has, like, mental health issues. I just feel like there's something that can be done that's not being done. Well, and if you think about it, He's homeless, so what are the chances that he's continuing to stay on his meds? Yeah, like, so absolutely not. And it's just setting him up for failure. Yeah. Now, with that being said, he does do a really, really horrible thing. So, yes, we're just setting the stage here. Yes. I'm not saying that he, I'm not saying one way or another. It's a sad story either way. Both parties... You know, there's a lot wrong here. Yeah. Uh, I feel really awful for Richard Hernandez's family and friends. And I I could not even imagine. And I know the anger is still there. Like it is just because this person has been going through this, you know, mental health issues doesn't negate the fact that you are, you've lost your friend, you've lost your cousin, you've lost your son. Yeah. So... But, you know, you like to think that maybe there is a way that this could have been prevented. You'd like to think that. And I feel like in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. But Some situations, not so much, though. Yes. He was starting to be known around town as the walking man. I don't remember this. I remember the, the duck lady who would ride around town with her, her duck and her bicycle. I know her. Okay. But I don't remember a walking man. Because he was just walking around everywhere. Yeah. And this is the time where I was, I had just graduated high school the year before. Okay. So, like, I I was, it wasn't like I In the vicinity. Yeah. Okay. So, like I said, he was uh, known for walking around town down Hebron uh, Parkway. And 
he gained a reputation with the police as a troublemaker. Among other things, he was picked up for stealing a laptop in March 2008. Now, this is March 2008. September 2008 is when shit goes down. Okay. He spent five months in jail. So. March, April, May, June, July, August. So, right after he got out of jail. Yes. Uh, after he got out, he did go back to his campsite. Um, there's no place like home. And when he got locked up, I imagine it was not in a mental health facility. So things just got worse and worse and worse. Rodney, his father, found chopped links of rotting snake strewn across his garden he discovered a glass filled with a glass jar filled with petrified carcass hidden in the shrubs. Wait, petrified carcass? Yeah, like petrifying animal? carcass. I'm assuming it's like mummifying. Mummified carcass. Ugh. Yeah. Either way, it's not great. It's not a great thing. Yeah, it's not like the huge. Yeah. <laughs> here are some flowers, here are some chocolates. Here is a petrifying carcass, wow. you know. And why are all these things in his garden? <laughs> Not just his garden, his lawn as well. He coated, Seth coated his father's lawn with coal dust and hung snake skins from the fence. He thought he was putting a spell on the house. I was going to say, that sounds like some ritual shit yeah. right there. That is what his dad said, end quote. Now, okay. This is the a good spell or a bad spell? I don't know, but I, I doubt it's good. Doesn't sound good. No. So that is the end of Seth's part. Seth's okay. knowledge. Now, we move on to... Richard. 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 Now, for some reason, every newspaper that I found, every article that I read, really was into the fact that he was gay. It was an out and gay man this, a gay man that. It is said that they were lovers, boyfriends, they were together, one-time boyfriends. It's everywhere. Now, Richard Hernandez's best friend is Rudy, and I'm going to butcher the last name. I even looked this up, and I had a friend, two friends tell me how to pronounce this, and I'm just going <laughs> to I'm gonna mess it up. Rudy Areza? Areza. Okay. Okay. Ariaza? Okay. That sounds better. No. No. Okay. <laughs> so he will be Rudy going forward. He stated that he does not at all believe that they were in a romantic relationship in any way, shape, or form. They had been best friends for 22 years. If he was in a romantic relationship with his this guy, he, Rudy would have known. Really? It would be like... If, I, if you were dating someone and I just didn't know about it. And then the media is just like, they were lovers. They were lovers. And Rudy does say, is quoted a couple of times saying that he believes that this is a, a hate crime. Um, and that basically it is the media stating like, no, 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 no. There's it's no not hate, a hate crime. No, they were both gay. So it's fine. So he, does Rudy know Seth? Okay. So he's no. not like, oh, yeah, they were friends, but they weren't lovers. Yeah, no. Like, he doesn't know him. He's like, uh-uh. Now, okay. weird coincidence, they both work at Walmart, but different Walmarts. Okay. I've also been 
to the Walmart. To that Walmart. <laughs> but Rudy's chill. Because like I said, I love a Walmart. Rudy's chill. Rudy's chill. So, so but Rudy's Walmart, not sex. Rudy doesn't work for Walmart. Richard worked for Walmart. Richard. Yeah. Ooh. Richard Hernandez, born June 13th, 1970 in Lubbock, Texas. I lived in Lubbock, not at the same time, obviously. So nine. Oh. At the time of his murder, he was 38 years old. So he's nine years older than Seth. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Um, he was born, like I said, in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, he loved 80s pop music, but who doesn't? It's For the real. best. It's great. He had two cats, which he adored. Richard was described from friends and family as outgoing and fun-loving, kind, and very giving. Um, Richard, again, was an openly gay man. Uh, he worked at Walmart for 10 years and was very popular among his co-workers. It really sounded like in everything I read, he was just a fun person to be around and everybody enjoyed his company. Mm. And it's real sad because those are always the lights that get... good ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So some of this is going to be... You know what? Everybody has stuff in their life. Not everybody is perfect. <laughs> I am starting us off with that. Okay. Disclaimer. Disclaimer. So, Richard Hernandez, uh, he did work at the Walmart off Marsh Lane for over a decade. He was the UBC clerk. So, basically, he was in charge of, basically in charge of all the pricing in the store. Um, they, his coworkers that he rarely missed a day of work and he never took vacations. His paychecks paid the bills, but that was basically it. He was always living paycheck to paycheck. Um, whenever him and coworkers or friends would go out, most of the time they would spot for drinks or things like that. They also said that he was a fun person. He was very private about his personal life. They, so he didn't have a car, but he only worked, that's, I think it's like two miles from that Walmart to his apartment complex. Mm -hmm. You actually lived over there for a hot I did. minute. Yes. I remember that. Oh, the poor hamster. <laughs> that was not in Dallas. That was after Dallas. Okay. Anyway, it didn't end well. That's a future story. It's a story for another day. <laughs> Peta's gonna be on her ass so quick. <laughs> it wasn't on purpose. Like I said, people were always willing because you know he's a friend, and and people would give him rides. It, again, in Texas, doesn't matter mm -hmm. what time of year. It's it's always Southern ideal. Yeah, it's also ideal of always having a a ride to and from places, especially right there. It's so busy right there. Oh yeah, so you have George Bush, you have Marsh. Mm -hmm. Uh, even Midway gets crazy backed up. I wouldn't want to walk anywhere over there. Mm -mm. Not because it's dangerous or sketchy, but because like cars and people. Yeah, like attention. motor vehicle dangerous. Dallas is not set up for strolling. No. It's, yeah. I mean, the neighborhoods are in Dallas, cool. Yeah. But like right. if you're going, it, it's just not. The main roads. It is not ideal. Yeah. So like I said, he, he kept his private license private life very private but it was it wasn't a secret that he was gay um but he would occasionally you know hook up with men that he met at bars or clubs along cedar springs his friend rudy 
was quoted saying, for the most part, he was a loner. He didn't want a partner in life. He didn't want the drama. Okay. Yeah. Now, again, two different stories. I've already told you that Rudy has said, like, if he had, he would have known. Yeah. Okay. So, I've seen it in both. This is kind of one of those stories where I've seen it in multiple stories this way, and I've seen it in multiple stories this way. So, this is the other side. Okay. According to this, he found one of those two things, either drama or relationship or companionship in Seth. They did work together at the Walmart, at least for a little bit, um, during Winder's last stop before he officially was homeless, you know, whenever he moved out to New, um, New Mexico and stuff. He did live in Hernandez's building. That was the apartment that his mom had fronted for a bit before. Okay. You know. So sometime around September 2008, Seth started staying with Richard. And again, there's not a lot known about this, the specifics about their relationship. However, um, there were nude photos taken of Seth. Like Richard had taken nude photos of Seth. On his like computer, phone or something. Camera, probably digital cameras 2008. Yeah. Um, there was also shot video of him showering himself, performing sexual acts on Seth. Ooh, sex tape. Yeah. Okay. Which, honestly, that sounds a lot creepier than, like, we made a sex tape. You know? The having videos on his phone. Of him performing sexual acts. Yeah. I don't know. It just sounds creepier. Like, he didn't know about it or something. Yeah, but it's... It, from everything that I've seen, he absolutely knew about it. Like, it was not, and no one, like, argues that point. Seth was 100% in up, it to win in it, to win it. Rudy said if Richard was taking, if Richard was taking pictures of Seth in the nude, they could have been friends with benefits. That's all that was said about that. It wasn't, however, just Seth. Apparently, Richard had often brought guys back to the apartment and filmed them. And then later, Seth's attorney, Derek, it could be Adam, it could be Adam A. There's an extra E at the end of that, would argue that Hernandez was paying Seth for sexual favors. And Richard's a little freaky. Yeah. Or maybe they were just secret lovers. Secret lovers. Or maybe they were just friends or with benefits. You know, we've all been there. I mean, maybe not here. But like, <laughs> Definitely not here. I've not been here. <laughs> um, so Rudy did say uh, he didn't know whether or not Richard was HIV positive, but he did know that Seth was HIV positive. But that also, I mean, he was doing a bunch of different drugs. Yeah. So who's to say where he got it from? But he was, you know, also saying he was most certainly desperate for money and basically shelter from it's summer and for those of y'all who do not know dallas or texas summer is not over in august for us summer doesn't end until mid to late october Mm -hmm. and even then there's a lot of times where it's still in the 90s into november and it does not get cooler at night 
It does not. We do not have that fun thing like in Colorado where like, yeah, sure, it's it like 92. Hot the day, but, but then it's like cool at night. Yeah, it's like 50 at night. Yeah, that no. doesn't happen. No, it's it's like 95 during the day. 92. And then like 92 at night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the heat index goes away, but it's the same temperature. But it's the exact same yeah. temperature. Like it's 95, but it feels like 103. Mm -hmm. But then at night it's just plain 95. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Either way. Whatever their relationship. September 4th, 2008, the neighbor who lived below Richard's apartment heard a series of loud thuds at 3 or 4 in the morning, which is never good. Never good. Call in the thuds, people. Mm -hmm. She said, or he said, it doesn't specify, it sounded like somebody was moving furniture. Now, I have lived in these apartments before, and I have also heard my upstairs neighbor at like two three in the morning and it sounded like they were vacuuming and do, i honestly i was super pissed off at them but so like i could understand not immediately thinking anything i mean i because i'm yeah, a true like crime person call the police. yeah i immediately text my friend and i was like i'm pretty sure somebody just got murdered upstairs but like <laughs> you would go for the text your friend though yeah <laughs> i but like a normal person would not automatically go somebody's being attacked. Murdered. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we can't really fault. Let's not blame them. Let's not blame. There's only one person who needs to be blamed, maybe a couple other people, but it's not the neighbor. We'll give you the benefit of the doubt, neighbor. Yes. Okay, so that is the story. The relationship. The stage has been set. Yes. Seth's first arrest was back in January 2003 for public intox. He got a lot of public intox. He got a couple burglary, breaking and entering, theft, things like that as well. Okay, so record. Record before any of this happened. And then at, I can't remember what the year is, but he did end up hit a parked car. It doesn't say. Haven't we all? No. No, oh. we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> this is why your husband drives everywhere. <laughs> I drive to work and home. Yeah. Um, I, well, not me, our FBI liaison, Katie, the other ginger. Shout out. <laughs> she found his record and it just said that he was charged with hitting a parked car. So with his body, with a bike, with a bat. I don't know, but mm. that is... Hitting it with a car, hitting it with a bat, two very different things. They are. Running into it drunk, also a very different thing. Yeah. Swan to the morning of September 4th at 7 a.m. One of his co-workers called to, or pulled up to give him a lift to work. And she called him. He never answered. And after about five minutes of trying to call him, she went to work. Now, it was really unlike Richard not to show up to work or especially not to no call, no show. And we've all had those employees or coworkers who just never not, you know, they never yeah. no call, no show or they never just, not, you know, call into work. And so when it happens, you're always kind of. 
Something's off. Something's going on. The coworker was suspicious that he might have gone out and had too many to drink, um, but it was the day before payday, so. He's at his brokest. Yeah, but is he at his brokest or is he at the, I'm getting paid tomorrow, so if I Let's have 50. drink. Yeah, if I have $50 left, I know that I can spend it. Yeah. He never returned, you know, anybody's phone calls. So managers have tried calling him. Other friends have tried calling, like coworkers have tried calling him. No one can get a hold of him. And again, for somebody who, that would be like you calling me three or four times and me just never calling you back. Yeah. It would be what you've been like. Unusual. Yeah. Somebody needs to do a wellness check. Yeah. Now, if I do that, maybe just wait a day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. People are going to find you a lot sooner than they're going to find me. I have spent my entire life making sure that if I don't People show know up. People right when you die. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be decaying for two weeks. Yeah. Mine's going to be like two days later. Maybe we should look into this. <laughs> it's been a month and no one has heard from Lauren for a while. <laughs> Yeah, no, not me. My, if nothing else, my mom would be like, okay, I've tried calling her twice now. <laughs> she has not responded back to me. Missing persons report. We need to do a welfare check right now. <laughs> and my wife's not even living here right now, so she couldn't even call Cheryl. Panicking. Right? <sighs> we are fine. She just moved up to Colorado for yeah. work. Yeah, everything's great. Everything's great. <laughs> We're not living together right now. Shout out to Cheryl. <laughs> he was real supportive of me doing this. Yeah. I think she's tired of me telling her about this stuff. And she's just like, whatever. Talk to the masses. <laughs> you and Lauren go do your thing and leave me out of it. How long do we have? Uh, you can record for up to 30 minutes. Oh, that's good to know. Because we were at like 26 a minute ago. So he didn't show up the next day at work. That was, I mean, one day. Okay, that's weird. He's not calling anybody. He's not answering. That's bizarre enough. But when he didn't show up the next day, that's when alarm bells. Alert. Yeah, something's not right. So one of his coworkers had her husband go over and check on him. He knocked on the door, but no one answered. So he went to the leasing office. And they said that they would send a maintenance worker up there so maintenance worker knocked didn't get an answer unlocked the door went in um he said he didn't turn on any lights but so that he did see a stain on the ground that looked like it could have been georgia red clay but that no one was home and so he left so didn't turn on the lights which is where are we located we are in by our old apartments the ones um george bush and midway and we've got Georgia red clay over here. I mean, I'm assuming it was like a, a reference point, if you will. But yeah. But you weren't like, what's the Georgia red clay doing all over the floor? <laughs> yeah. Didn't turn and on the you're lights. the maintenance man. Aren't you concerned about like, like the resale the of this like apartment once this person moves out? Like, this is your job, man. No, just leave it. That's another problem. That's, That's future. future. 
<laughs> That's a this future, a future maintenance problem. man yeah, problem. Right. Okay, not our problem right now. I'm gonna keep doing me. He was probably like, I don't want to deal. This with is this not me. Today. Yeah. So, and and the fact that he didn't turn on the light, he was just like, oh, that's a stain. I'm out. I'm out. Skis. And who doesn't turn on the light when they're walking into someone else's apartment? Yeah. That's weird. I don't. I don't. Who doesn't turn on a light when they walk into their to any place for a wellness? Isn't he doing a wellness check? Well, yes and no. So, a friend, the husband of a friend, was like, "Hey, we haven't been able to get a hold of anyone. Can you send someone up to look?" So I'd be like, "Let's flip on the lights. Let's see what's going on." Yes, like I need to get a read on the situation. And he's like, "I'm just gonna leave the lights off." And there's dirt. If you don't see a problem, according to him, there's a pile of dirt in the living room. If I don't see a problem, there isn't a problem. Yeah. So maintenance man's an idiot (laughs) i'm gonna just go ahead and make the statement Uh, well he's not so much of an idiot as much as just like avoidance is key avoid yeah he's either passive way too passive or an idiot yeah one of the two so the co-workers at this point when he was like well no one's home everything's fine uh co-workers still felt like something was wrong so they called on a welfare check from the police department. Um, at 9.30 a.m., a patrol officer went to the apartment with maintenance. That was his first call of the day. Like, straight out the gate. This is what he's about to walk in on. Good morning. Good morning. Aren't you glad you chose this as your profession? Have you had your coffee? So, as maintenance and him are walking to the apartment, maintenance confides, so I, like, saw some blood. Like, I did see some blood. On the way to the apartment. Yeah. So, like, he was just going to be like, shut the door, you know, lock it up. That's it's not my George, problem. George Clay. Yeah. Ignore, ignore, ignore. If I don't see a problem, there so isn't a problem. So, basically, really, he walked in and he was like, holy shit. Reverse, reverse, reverse. <laughs> We're going to pretend like that didn't happen right there. Exactly. Okay. All right. So the officer that showed up was Officer David Ruiz. Reese. Uh, Ruiz. Reese. R-U-I-Z. Reese. Officer David, step inside. (laughs) Mr. David. I'm pretty sure it's Ruiz. I had a third grade teacher, and her name was Mrs. Reese. R-U-I-Z. Okay. Send in your pronunciation. I could just text Javier. Be like Javier, hey. send in the pronunciation. I'll just Shout ask out. him tomorrow at work. <laughs> no, he needs to listen to this podcast. Yeah, that yeah. <laughs> um so when Officer David walked into the apartment, he said he was overwhelmed with a pungent, musty odor. Which is never it's good. It's probably the clay. It's probably the clay. <laughs> you know, like mud. It's dirty. Yeah. <laughs> Officer David would later testify that, quote, there was not just a little bit of blood, like he said. There was blood everywhere. 
it was like a Stephen King movie. And Stephen quote. King. Who, you know, shiny. Elevator full of blood. I'm yes. Just, yeah. Like, well known for waves blood. of blood. So he took, Officer David, took a look around the apartment and called a supervisor. When his supervisor arrived, he took one look at the apartment and said, and I quote, oh shit, call the cappers. Which is crimes against persons. Unit. Homicide detectives moved through the apartment and the first 48 crew as well. Um, they said they saw a dark stain the size of about of a the size of a basketball in the living room, which was the quote unquote Georgia Clay. Guess what it wasn't? Georgia Clay. Correct. It was the stain itself was partially covered by a striped bath mat and there was a crooked lampshade near the door that was blotted and smeared with blood along the wall were narrow drag marks of blood Mm-hmm. the ceiling was covered with an array of speckled and splattered blood and slashes uh, as if it was cast off from the edge of a weapon oh my god this is a stephen king movie yeah blood is everywhere Get Dexter here. What is happening? There were drag marks on the carpet that led into the bathroom. In the bathtub, police found yellow gelatinous material. Gelatinous material. Yeah. It's gross. They found a trail of blood leading down the stairs through the breezeway along the sidewalks that touched fellow residents' porches and patios. They followed the drag marks to the apartment dumpsters. The empty dumpsters. So it had to have been picked up like recently, like that morning. It was the trash, along with all other evidence, had been picked up the day before. My goodness. So Detective Dwayne Thompson started checking Richard's bank accounts, looking for any activity, anything since his disappearance. His card was used at a 7-Eleven, a QT, Sonic, KFC, and a Target. AP at Target, asset protection for those in the know, uh, had video, you know, because they video everything for the moment you get out of your car till you know, when you leave. So they had video evidence of him. Seth had purchased a PlayStation 2, a backpack, and bug repellent, which Thompson raised an eyebrow to this. He had a backpack previous to this situation. Now he has no backpack. He's buying a new backpack. Also, PlayStation 2, bug spray. You know, the things that you need to get through the day. If we're really hungry... And we need to play video. Is he high? He's gotta I'm be. Really hungry. We need to play video games. I need my backpack to carry it all in. Because I'm a fluffy gal, and that seems like a whole lot of food. Yeah. Like I could take down some KFC, but like. And then we need to go get our PlayStation. Well, yeah, because you're high, and that's. But he's like homeless. It's funny you should say that, Lauren. <laughs> it's funny you should say that. Thompson said. Quote, the only problem I have is with the bug repellent. Basically, what he's saying is you're talking about going into the woods. Why would you need a PlayStation? Why do you need a PlayStation and bug repellent? I mean, sometimes you need 
random assortments of things. I get, yeah, you know, it was just a normal Tuesday where he was picking up the things on his grocery list. Yeah. Although I guess you could say that he bought those things, like the PlayStation, and could sell them for, like, cash. Yeah, for sure. I don't know what the going rate for meth is, but... Sounds about a PlayStation. Sounds about a PlayStation. <laughs> if you know, please send us an email. <laughs> Let us know what the going rate is. Rudy had talked about knowing that Seth had HIV, that he was HIV positive. But he, when the detective showed him and another friend a picture of Seth, they didn't recognize him. So I'm wondering if he just knew about him. Yeah. As opposed to actually knowing him. It's like maybe they're friends with benefits. I feel like if he knew him, he'd be able to like at least infer something. Yeah. You know? Like, oh, maybe they did get a little friendly once or twice, you know, or mm-hmm. something like that. And I can only imagine that like if he had met him, it would have been with him. So yeah. seeing body language and exactly things like that. So they did show the picture to the property manager, and she knew exactly who he was. That was Seth Winder. Uh, He moved out in 2007. He was evicted, so he did not move out in good standing. Um, She and somebody else, another witness, saw Winder the day that, like, there, the day that um, that Richard disappeared. And he was asking about renting an apartment. I don't know if he had a job at the moment, but from what it sounds like, he did not have a home or did not have a job. He is, this guy disappeared and where he was living and now he's there asking about an apartment. It just doesn't seem. This dude goes back to an apartment where he got evicted to ask for an apartment mm-hmm. and he has a 130 IQ. Well, you know what? There's, there's a no lot of social skills. There's so. a lot of really smart people just don't have a lot of common sense. There's lots of book smarts, but not a lot yeah. of common sense. I love my that brother, but he is one crazy. of them. My brother's an incredibly intelligent person, but he is <laughs> there's not a lot of street smarts. So, basically, he showed back up the next day, and she was like, you need to leave. You need to go away. She said he was, I'm visiting a friend, and then this left. I, at this point, I would feel like what happened was, because if you remember, when he attacked his mother, he didn't remember. He went into a psychotic break, didn't remember. This is, like, all part of what he's, like, not all there for. Yeah, so, like, if he had a psychotic break, and then did something to Richard and then maybe he doesn't remember. It. Yeah. Because the way he acts afterwards just doesn't coincide does with someone who's like trying to hide. Although the using of the credit card is kind of weird, but I digress. <laughs> he left. That was that. Sunday morning, three days after Hernandez disappeared, uh, a call came into Carrollton police. There was a man on Robin Hill Lane who had found a blood-stained backpack in a trash can, which sits in an alley behind his house some 50 yards away through a break in a 10-foot hedge lining the alley where Seth had built a second camp in a small tangle of trees on the edge of a lot owned by the Hebron Community Church. So he had a camp set up by his dad, right? 
this right by where his mom used to live. Okay. So the Dallas police and U.S. Marshals, they started watching the camp to see if he was coming back. So they start going through the bag of the contents and they find empty beer cans, money grab from his mom, and then they got in touch with his mom and then she got in touch with the father. He said that his son had been there that Friday to leave some stuff in his garage, one of which was a samurai sword. Guess what happens with a samurai sword? Oh no. Nothing good. When you're schizophrenic meth out child comes home with a samurai sword no good things happen oh no he told him like yes my son had been there he'd show up with this bag of damp towels this sword and he said he left some things in the garage pulled out of this backpack this a sword and um his dad had noticed there was a large wound on seth's knuckle that when he asked him about it he was like oh i got this working on a car um whenever the detectives pressed rodney for his son's whereabouts he pointed the woods and they radioed for a helicopter which i mean i get it for a helicopter yeah because they didn't like know where he i don't know wouldn't you just like pursue him on foot I guess mm. in the woods. I mean, maybe it's because I know that area, and so <laughs> like you're like I could find him real quick. I just don't feel like a helicopter is necessary. Maybe saves time and resources. <laughs> I mean, how much is a helicopter for y'all? That's true. Taxpayer money, right there, baby. <laughs> So they radio for the helicopter, moved into the thick. Get the horses. (laughs) Get the hounds. Get the hounds. (laughs) So they located the campsite. The tent was, it, it basically looked like somebody tore through the campsite. The tent was shredded. Canvas was flapping, just like attached to the frame um there was a bunch of soiled possessions Mm. which soiled could be dirty yeah let's go with that i'm gonna go with that he didn't pee all over his stuff or shit all over it (laughs) a box spring with a filthy sleeping bag on top of it a blue thermos a broken sword never good a mahjong mahjong yeah you said that with a lot of it sounds right okay I know what it is. I just can't say it. A pair of bloody pink. I know the people who are listening to this are like, she is a fucking idiot. <laughs> just, it's okay. Ugh. You get the gist. Yeah. A mahjong, mahjong board, a pair of bloody pink shorts, a blood splattered window treatment, a PlayStation 2 and bug repellent. Oh, no. Burn the blood-covered stuff. And, like, why is a window treatment covered in blood? We have questions. We have to save this window treatment. So Amateur hour. Yeah, but also, I'm glad that they, like, we don't want murderers to be smarter. Yeah, we don't want them to get away with it. We don't want them to get away with it, but, like, at the same time... Be smarter. <laughs> the lesson today is if you're going to be a murderer, be smarter about yeah. it. So but don't. But don't do it. From a brown paper bag, they pulled a receipt with the name Richard Hernandez printed on it. And oh, from, no. And from a nearby limb, 
two vulture skulls and a feather swayed on a string. Flesh still flaking from the bone. Like the vulture ate the guy? No, no. It's like the vulture is dead and it's been like... Like he strung it up or something? Yeah, and so... Oh. Like oh, flesh like weird ritual stuff again. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, 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 okay. So um, detectives went back to Seth's father's house that they had missed some things. The trash bag filled with the uh, towels, uh, other piles of his belongings. Uh, And then they found something even more helpful. A canvas bag containing a camera and a video recorder. They turned on the camera to show Rodney a picture of his son nude on a Scooby-Doo blanket in Richard Hernandez's apartment. His dad, that's him. And then turned away. Now, I say this. Let me find my notes. Because when I say that I have a little bit of for his dad. Um, okay, so his dad is quoted to saying, To my knowledge, Seth wasn't that way. I'm pretty sure he was probably prostituting himself just because he was homeless. If he If he's gay, I don't know. I'm sure that he was probably just trying to survive, being homeless like he was. Plus, he's mentally ill. Oh my gosh. So, well, suggestive. Yeah. And I, I'm i going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he wasn't saying, like, he could have been doing sexual gay things because he was mentally ill, but that he was saying, like, he was doing he's anything like for money. Yeah. Like, more so on the, like promiscuity side rather than the he's gay yeah but if we rewind his group of friends back when he was living with was barb was very sexually fluid so there is a chance that maybe he wasn't gay maybe he was just pansexual or very yeah Yeah. so because he had a girlfriend mm -hmm. but obviously he was involved with men too yeah so and yes could it be because he was in a hard place and needed like yeah could be that could be that but if he was doing it before he needed to yeah you know who's to say and it's not about the sex portion it's about the context portion like the gender portion it's about the context portion Mm -hmm. so basically they caught him by using you know the credit cards they ended up finding a a Louisville patrol officer been dispatched to a motel um because a man matching Seth's description was walking along Hebron Parkway so the super target off of 35 would be the one next to Mr. Ridge. So yeah. Across the, the highway. Yeah. So that's off of Hebron right yeah. next to 35. So he was saying that he was, um, there was a man, you know, matching a description down there. He saw them circled back around sirens, all that stuff. And Seth had, didn't resist at all. He was just like, okay, okay, let's go. I mean, free food in the bed. Yeah. It was basically, it was hot. He was in a sweat-stained army t-shirt. Um, he was beaded on his tan, expressionless face, is what the officer said. At Dallas headquarters, they start going through a bunch of asking questions. Where is Richard? They start showing him photos of him. Uh, if Again, if anybody has seen this episode, apparently 
during it, they, they show the entire inter interrogation of this. He's basically acting like he has no idea what they're talking about, you know. And we'll get a little bit more into the court part of it. But what they believe happened is that Seth took a sword, dismembered Richard, and it attack of some kind happened he dismembered dismembered him in the bathtub and then drug him tossed him and then left and unfortunately or fortunately depending on what side you're on they had multiple delays in this on his trial because of his mental status um he had a breakdown. Was he trying to claim insanity? So he, yes. They had gotten so far that his defense had said that he is so unstable, he can't even participate in his building of his own defense. They did do, you know, all the psyche evals that they're supposed to do. Originally, he did come back as he was incompetent to stand trial. So they sent him off to a state hospital. Okay, so how it works... This is a English common law that justice demands the defendant be able to understand the charges that are being charged against him. If he can't, an attorney usually petitions the court for a competency hearing. If he is found incompetent, he's shipped off to a psychiatric facility for treatment until he is fit for trial. Only when he can successfully complete a 50-question test demonstrating a grasp of basic legal terms and an ability to assist his attorney can his prosecution legally proceed so he has to be able to understand a that a crime was committed and that be, that's what he's being charged with and that here are 50 questions can you answer them correctly yeah and understand what's going on because if you can't even help yeah like if you don't understand like you're under arrest like or here's if, what you're being charged with. Yeah. Here's what you're going to be sentenced with. Like, do you understand guilty, innocent, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So just because a defendant is ruled competent doesn't mean the legal system is ready to capitalize on its new found coherence. Basically, continuance requests, wrangling of in and uh, out of town, witnesses stop a trial or to postpone a trial. So in April 2009, six months after he was arrested, he was found incompetent. He was then transported to a state hospital in Vernon, Texas, nursed back to health, or some highly medicated version of it. For four months, he managed to pass his competency test. But... Seven months later, in March of 2010, his trial had yet again, or had yet to begin when his father and stepmother self-published a book describing the investigation, all the childhood and troubled adulthood. This is also what? something, yes. So the stepmother wrote and published this book, and obviously the, the father was part of it. It was published by a publishing company that, for one, when you go onto their website, they publish whatever for free. 
whatever your book is, they say that they strongly push female writers. When you go to try to buy a book in their bookstore, it doesn't pop up. So take that for what it is. Now, I tried to find this book and I can find pictures of it everywhere. I can find a whole bunch of websites that say that they offer it. When you go to buy it, you cannot find it anywhere. What? Yeah. His defense attorney, attorney Adam or Adam A, he stated that the book basically hurt. It is not helpful towards the case at all. Well, and you shouldn't be publishing a book when you're in trial. I mean, like, obviously that was not him. It was his yeah. mom. But it's like, wait till the trial's over at least. Yeah. It's in your rear view before you're publishing a book. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, really, I don't know what they were trying to gain from it. I don't know if they were trying to... Sounds like a money thing. Sounds like a money thing. Let's use the popularity around this trial to boost sales for this book. And I mean, if it's just that, then that's real shitty. But like a little part of me wants to believe like maybe they were doing it to try to help him. And it backfired. And it backfired, you know, because when the, even when the, his own attorney is like, no. (laughs) We'll consider the benefit of the doubt for this one, but jury's still out. Yeah, they were ready to go to trial. Both sides are ready to go to trial. This book was released, and so both the prosecution and the defense needed time to review it for incriminating evidence, yeah, you know, just a reason. bunch of stuff. It basically pushed opening arguments back. When the book came out, we were pretty much ready to go. Uh, that shot our wheels off. Then uh, we got delayed from there, and other things happened, end quote. He was in solitary confinement in Denton County Jail for two years. Oh, wow. Two years. During which he seesaw between lucidity and incoherence. Incoherence was the word you were thinking of earlier. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. My under- Solitary confinement. For two, for two years. years. For a, a mentally unhealthy yeah. person. For a normal person, that would be a lot. Yes. For a paranoid schizophrenic, that's next level. However, I don't know what the med situation for that is, but he was also not doing meth. Well, it sounds like if any med situation, it's sedation because he's like going in and out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So his attorney says, my understanding is in a place like Vernon, the state hospital, they had procedures. They'll do observation periods while they sit there and make sure he doesn't spit his pill out or hide it. Basically, they make sure that he's taking his medication. Yeah. He's, as soon as he's brought back to Denton County, that's not what they're trained to do. They are trained to... Confine you. Yeah, like this is your pill. If you don't take it... Not my problem. Yeah, like there's no safeguards in place. Yeah. So in a letter from jail to his father in 2010, April 2010, Seth wrote that there was a monster living beneath his bed. So obviously he's not taking any kind of medication. He was able to keep it at bay by cleaning his cell. He was quoted of saying, do you have a monster under yours or is it in your closet maybe? In June, he insisted he was not schizophrenic and had been misdiagnosed. In March of 2011, he wrote off his failing health and his HIV status. Now he's saying, I'm, I mean, not now, he's always pretty much said he's not schizophrenic, but I'm not schizophrenic. I don't have HIV, which I don't know a whole lot about either one of those things, but I do know if you ignore them, they don't get better. Yeah. That I do know for sure. Yes. He was still super optimistic that 
his case was going great. Like he didn't do it. So everything was on the up and up. Everything was good. Also noted in the letter that he was not taking any antipsychotic medication anymore because he couldn't afford it and didn't need it. Okay. Which again goes back to the healthcare situation of people who need medication can't afford it. So they don't take it. Yeah. They need medication. Yeah. So in June of 2011, Seth wrote that he and his father shared Viking heritage. No other roots grow deeper than the night of the tree, but it goes unseen when we may have come from, is a quote from him. So like, it just seems like he's getting deeper and crazier and crazier. Yeah, deeper, which is only gonna, he's away from the public now. So he's not going to do anybody else any harm, but it's still not helping him. Yeah, we're not getting anywhere. Yeah. So with three months left until trial, had a mental break and he was off in his own land. There was a letter filled with gibberish that he declared his intention to re-enlist in the army. Again, still not thinking anything is wrong. During his interviews with like his interrogation, the police officer asked where he was and he was saying he didn't know what happened to him, nothing. He's fine. What or what happened to him later on in the, you know, it was just like he had no idea something happened to to him is how he was acting. Yeah. I, I he's not know. under arrest. He's not on trial for murder. Yeah, he just didn't get it. So in the letter, he also wrote about the very existence of the planet was being threatened by revolution. It is a vital necessity to go to war and I want to be there to war. They are releasing me and you will have to get over whatever whatever problem you might have regarding this disappearance. He was also considering the special forces. Shooting high. Mm -hmm. The Denton County prosecutor, again, with the last names, we're just going to call him Carrie. Carrie. P-L? P-I-E-L? P-L? Pyle? Carrie. Didton County Prosecutor Carrie said Richard was butchered literally in his own home. That's how he started his opening statement on November 15th. The theory was simple that Seth murdered Richard, dismembered him in the bathtub, and carried the pieces to the dumpster. Somewhere along the way, he cut his own hand, leaving the trail for detectives to follow. There was no body in which to compare DNA left at the scene, so they compared one to Hernandez's razors. It all sounded so tidy. Eyewitnesses placed Winder in the apartment complex. He used Hernandez's debit card at Target. DNA testing proved that the blood on his shirt, shoes, and pants belonged to Hernandez. That is part of his opening statement. When he finished addressing the jury, Denton County Prosecutor Carey approached the jury box and said, This is all that's left. The fat in the bathroom tub. So that yellow gelatinous. Yeah. They found fat cells. Wow. So that is all that was left. And this is Richard Hernandez's body. He then placed a plastic baggie filled with a yellow gelatinous belly fat on the railing in front of the jury. The only thing that was left of him was this bag, this Ziploc bag of fat. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine being on that jury? I would throw up. There's a lot of times whenever I like... I'm listening to this and just like, they have to have some kind of counseling for those people afterwards. Yes. Derek Adam, Adam A., uh, Seth's attorney, 
he began informing the jury that the prosecution had nothing more than his client that uh, on his client than circumstantial evidence. There was no body, no weapon, no witnesses, no motive. He accused Thompson and the other Dallas detectives on focusing on Winder to the exclusion of all other suspects so that their investigation would fit the time frame required to make an episode of the first 48. Oh, wow. He said, in quote, there were videos of a sexual nature taken by Richard of Seth, but also of other men in very similar ways. The police had that. I got it from their investigation. As far as I can tell, no effort was made to identify these men. These men. However, in my opinion, yes, there may have been other men on that film, but how many of those men were living with him? Stopped showing up to the apartment after he disappeared. Started using his credit card. Were covered in his blood. Yeah. I mean. So was he like not convicted? So he also says, how does an adult man disappear? By Seth, a homeless man with no money, no friends. So during the first day in trial, he was led into the courtroom. Seth never failed to smile sheepishly, sheeplessly at his mother. He was sat in the first row. On day two, though, something changed. His attorneys noticed he was less attentive. Officers in the Denny County Jail noticed as well. So he walked in the courtroom that afternoon. He did not make any kind of look or notion towards his mother. He took a seat. He stuffed his hands in his pocket. Uh, basically, that's how he spent the rest of the day. He was bent over a legal pad, his face inches from the paper, and the pen moving steadily. But as a prosecution's witness testified, Seth stopped writing. He put his pen down and sat bolt upright in his chair, the palms of his hand resting on his thighs. He fixed his gaze straight ahead and his eyes were emptied of anything that indicated cognition or sight. He remained catatonic for the rest of the day. This time, even the judge and the jury could see that inside of him something had given way. So this is now day three of the trial. And before the trial is resumed, Seth's attorney approached Judge Bruce McFarland. Seth hadn't been led into the courtroom yet. The attorney's partner, Trisha Perry, was in the holding room with him. His attorney was talking to the judge. He had his partner sitting in the room with him. And then he went to the bailiff and was like, can you periodically go check to make sure everything's okay? Because obviously the way he'd been acting was not awesome. And if you're already, you know, people are already thinking that you gonna snap. Maybe you, maybe just have someone in the room all the time who is a trained professional. Like in jail? Like it was in a holding room. Oh, okay. So. Just go sit with him. Yeah. Just... <laughs> Trisha, you are a brave, brave lady. The bailiff didn't ask if he was okay, and he was like, we don't know. So. Oh, wow. Everyone is terrified of this guy, of just snapping. So, at the end, he does have kind of a mental break. It is discussed, and the judge announced on the next day uh, McFarland declared a mistrial. He said yesterday we found out that the defendant had not been taking his medication as the doctor had ordered. So his mental state is no longer in a condition where he can stand trial. Prosecutor said uh, if he can be retrieved from whatever dark place he's gone, another jury will be implemented. Um, the Seth's attorney will plead his innocence. The prosecutor or some other prosecutor will seek 
told him to account for the murder of Richard Hernandez, praying he doesn't lose him again during this wait between competency determination and trial. Out in the hallway after the judge's announcements, the prosecutor shook his head. I've never even heard about something like this happening to somebody else, he said. He was faking competency. Oh, wow. Yeah, he goes back to the state hospital in Vernon. Basically, that's that. He was declared incompetent, then competent, then incompetent again, and then competent again. Now there's a mistrial because he doesn't do, he does not taking his medications, he's not doing what he's supposed to do, and because of that, he can't stand trial. So is he like forcibly held in the mental hospital? So the last thing I saw about this was that he was in a state hospital in Vernon. He was transferred to county jail and held there. And now he's at a psychiatric prison, basically. Okay, so he's at, like, some sort of prison. Mm-hmm. He's Just basically... definitely because he can't take care of himself. He's and... there, basically, until he can stand trial. Wow. Yeah. And this has been since when? The murder happened September alleged. So some say it's September 4th. They don't really have a date yeah, of like death. Third, fourth, or fifth. Yeah. So his obituary, which I am about to read, um, it says September 10th, but September 4th, 2008. Wow. So, and he will stay in this care until he can get, you know, stand trial. And so some sad news with that, his mother, Richard Hernandez's mother, passed away before seeing justice for her son. Ugh. Yeah. So the last two things that I will read is a letter that Rudy wrote. Um, and it says, a few weeks ago, Rudy, who was a close friend of Dallas murder victim Richard Hernandez, has voiced his frustration over continued delays in the prosecution of Hernandez's accused killer, Seth Lawton Winder. Today, Rudy sends along word that Hernandez's mother has passed away. It reads... Well, I'm writing this letter to reach out to you and inform you that it's a terrible thing when your son's passing is still at a point where no justice has been made for going on two years. And in your own life, Richard's mom, you are struggling with pain, sadness, emptiness, and health problems that don't make it any easier to live with until one day you die, only to never really understand or find the justice you wanted for your son, yourself, friends or family, and having so much on your plate. Mary Garcia Hernandez passed away Monday, August 23rd, 2010, from health issues she was dealing with. I can only pray to God and thank him for not making her suffer anymore. Now, in my heart, I know that although she was suffering from the loss of her eldest son and her health, that God will bring them together in the heavens above. I pray that her family will one day come to see the light from all this tragedy that has happened within the two-year time span, and that we were hold, we hold together and send a prayer out to them and for all their grief. Sincerely, Rudy. Wow. And Richard Hernandez's obituary. Richard Lee Hernandez of Dallas was born June 13, 1970 in Lubbock, Texas. He was the first child of Mary Sue Hernandez. He graduated from Friendship High School in 1988 and soon moved to Dallas. He worked at Walmart for seven years. He loved 1980s pop music and had a grand collection. He also was very fond of his two cats. Oh my God, what happened to his cats? 
They were in the apartment. They were in the apartment. Oh no, not the cats too. I didn't find anything out about the cats. Oh my gosh. Okay, jury's still out on the cats. Richard was outgoing, fun-loving, and is greatly missed by his family and friends. Richard's untimely death was in September 2008 at the age of 38 years, 2 months, and 27 days. His grandmother, Consuelo Hernandez, preceded him in death April 4th, 2003. Those left to cherish his mother, or his memory, were his mother, Mary Sue Hernandez, before she passed away, 8-28-2010, his grandfather, Juan Hernandez, his sister, Rachel, and her husband, Jesse, Enrique. No, that's not right. Enriquez? Sure. Two brothers, Renee and John Garcia. Three aunts, Nita Vasquez, Isabel, and her husband, Henry Pena. Janie and her husband, Pete Moreno. Several nieces, nephews, great nieces, and nephews, along with cousins and his best friend, Rudy Areza. Oh, isn't that so sad? And I'm so sorry that I butchered all of these names. That's okay. So that's the story of the very, very sad death of Richard Hernandez. Lose, lose. No justice. No justice. No conclusion. No closure. And even when and justice then, is made, it's not. Yeah. You know. And then Seth's over here, just like. Mm. In a loop. And in 2020, Karen Dilbeck, the fancy book writer herself, Seth's uh, stepmother, she had a stroke and died on Saturday, October 24th, 2020. She was dealing with uh, kidney failure as well. If you read her obituary, which I'm not going to read on here, the comments, she had a real interesting group of friends. They probably encouraged her to write the book. If anybody also has any story requests, we can yeah. get some story requests. So we actually had a couple friends give us some ideas. Our friend Stacy, she sent me one that we're definitely going to do a ton of information that I found on that story. I So our goal is not to just do Texas stuff. We're going to... Yeah be expanding out but we thought our first one should be something close to home. We're just letting you know about our place of origin here. Mm -hmm. Hopefully people like this. Yeah. I didn't ramble too much. Yeah it's wonderful. If you like it, if you want to hear other stories we'd love to cover it. Just to drop it out there Mm -hmm. our email triple g podcast at hotmail.com please like i said if you guys have any information please send it our way we'd love to do a little update if anybody gets their hands on that book or the first 48 check us out on instagram the ginger the gay and the gruesome what do you do with the podcast? Like it, add it, subscribe, do all share it with your friends, tell everybody about it. We're super excited to do this for you guys. Um, really it's for us though yeah it's really for us and you guys get to tag along with us but we're also grateful for your presence (laughs) so to give us a little wrap up do you have anything else to add um i don't have anything else to add are we gonna start this week your lauren's tea yeah got a little tea for you guys here so you know we're coming into the holiday season (laughs) tis the season so 
give you guys a little bit of your crime status update here. It's juicy. So most people are, you know, it's the holiday season. People get a little crazy in the holidays. They do. People get a little crazy. So it's very stressful. It's very stressful. It's very stressful. There's a lot of pressure. And so um, a lot of people think that a lot of crime rate goes up and you have to be on your defense, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. You should always be on your defense, people, especially you ladies out there. Stay safe. But <laughs> these are great, great words to live by. Yeah, stay safe. There's two specific types of crimes that increase during the month of December, which is robbery and personal larceny. Personal? Yes. Like, like I'm going to take this from you. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Like insurance fraud. Got it. I'm on, I'm on board. I think the difference between robbery and personal larceny is like the setting of which the item is stolen from. Got it. You know what Understood. I mean? So, um, so those are the two things that goes up. They say it's because people get real desperate, real stressed yeah. out and blah, blah, blah. Violent crimes actually do not increase. Really? Yes. They do not mm. increase during the holiday season. The I holidays, would be wondering if know? it has to do a lot with our New York, it's snowing, it's a lighter out concept. <laughs> I mean, obviously not in Texas, we don't get snow, but it's lighter out. <laughs> I would think. So our theory is a little background. It's colder outside. Less murders are outside. happening outside, which I feel like is like the main place to get murdered. <laughs> I don't know. We're about to hear a lot of stories about indoor murders. So. Yeah, we're going off of theory here. So violent crimes do not increase. There is some robbery increases during the holidays. However, it is not the highest crime time. Summertime is. Really? Yes. 4K. So their theory is, is because that's when everybody's out from it's school hot. and there's oh. more street youths running around. Bored. Street youths. The street youths are bored out of their mind. They're running around, breaking into cars, breaking into houses. I was such a boring stealing kid. Stealing stuff like that. Well, I thank just God swim. you weren't running around and breaking into shit. I 100% not that I've ever thought like, hey, I should break into this car and steal shit. But like, I'm way too paranoid of a person to be oh, like, yeah. oh, I'll get away with this. Oh, yeah. Mm -mm. Crazy stuff. But now we also live in the age of the ring doorbell. So it's harder to get away with That's that shit. Harder. So you can feel safe this season, guys. Feel safer. Yeah. Yeah. Because on the contrary, people say it's a crazy time of year. but Summertime is really what you need to watch. Summertime, it gets lit. Yeah, it's lit, litty in the summertime. But that's a wrap for us. Yeah, I think we did pretty okay. Yeah, we learned a lot today. Did learn a lot today. And join us next time. Yay. Yay, we'll catch you guys later. Okay, bye. Bye.